Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everybody, wherever you're at, uh, whatever time it is, I don't, doesn't matter. This is the ACS Pod Chat, episode nine, and today I'm excited to introduce and welcome my good friend Chris Schillig, uh, who is going to be talking to us today about like cool stuff, potpourri. So this is going to be like just a hodgepodge of cool stuff, and so I'm excited for that. Uh, but before we get started with this. I need to just give you a couple of uh, housekeeping information items to begin with. So, first things first, um, listen to this podcast wherever. So that's the joy of the podcast. You can listen to it in your kitchen or out in the yard or on the beach. I mean, summertime is rolling around. uh, So whatever you want to do or wherever you want to do this at, you can. The next thing is that inside the email um, is a link and inside that document, there are more links. There's a link to the audio. There's a link to the reflection document. Uh, and that is good so that you can get your credit for listening and get those CEUs, uh, which are free, so that's cool. And, um, and then if you're interested in speaking on the ACS pod chat and being a guest, uh, please sign up with the other link that says the sign up link. So uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce to you my good friend, Chris Schillig. All right, so Chris, welcome uh, to the ACS Pod Chat. I'm glad you're here today. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah, you're welcome. The first thing that we do, though, is I, I ask every guest the same question, and so you're going to get this question, too. And that question is, what is the one thing that you're doing in your classroom right now that you often wonder why? Boy, that's a tough one. Uh, I guess the biggest thing would be state testing. And even though I know the answer why from, from the, the state level, I often wonder how it benefits students uh, and if it's even worth the, the large amount of time that we spend preparing them and, and giving them the test. So that's my big why. Okay, yeah, and I always tell people in my grad classes, like sometimes we can't, um, there's hoops that we have to jump through, um, but can maybe we jump through those hoops differently. So yeah, that's, that's definitely something we're not gonna be getting rid of probably anytime soon, but uh, how can we play the game and do it differently? So, okay, so today you're going to be talking to us a little bit about everything. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, and you're just going to let us have it. Okay. Uh, I guess the first thing we'll talk about today are some some poetry assignments that I've been sharing with my freshman English students. Um, and some of these assignments I've, I've booted over from the old analog days and made them digital and, and a little more exciting as a result. Uh, so one of the first things we do poetry-wise is the poetry analysis assignment. Uh, I modeled this with students with a poem called You Can't Write a Poem About McDonald's, uh, which I created in in iMovie with images and the poem running along the bottom. Uh, That kind of shows them how to do a dramatic reading of the poem. We use something called a teepee cast form uh, that then allows students to analyze their own poems. So I put them into groups. Uh, Each group gets an individual poem, uh, more or less modern and their job is to run through the TPCAST form and, and look for rhyme scheme, look for meter, look for theme, uh, look for a variety of different things that will help them understand what the poet might be saying. So when you, when you say TPCAST, tell, tell me what that means. Is that, like a, is that a graphic organizer or is that some kind of, what does that mean? It, it's an acronym for, uh, the T stands for title, the P stands for paraphrase, C is connotation, and that's kind of the catch-all for all the, the poetic terms they're looking for. A is attitude, S looks at all the shifts in the poem, the T makes the student go back to the title once they've read the poem and determine if they were correct in their, in their initial prediction, and then the final T of TPCAST stands for theme, which is hopefully the, the overall picture of the poem and, and why it was written and the message they're supposed to take away from it. I like that. I think that that can, uh, 
maybe not TPCAST specifically, but I think teachers could probably come up with some kind of acronym that would help their students in, in, in multiple subject areas. Um, I remember when I was in the classroom, my favorite was SWBST, someone once but so then. And it was like the best, like I could make that work with anything. And, and it was the best for my special ed students because they couldn't, you know, figure out what was going on in the story. And if, I mean, throw SWBST at them and they were all over it. So cool. All right. What else you got for us? Well, the part about that assignment that I think is, is most exciting for students is once they do their own dramatic reading and, uh, and visualization of the poem, they share that with, with the rest of the class, which makes it a much more authentic audience for them. Uh, and then we're all exposed to 12 different poems and, and different thoughts about them rather than just individual groups. So, like so that's the first thing we do with poetry. All right. Well, what else? Uh, then we jump into writing some of our own poetry. And, and this year I started with a list poem. Uh, they, they take an emotion like joy or anger or frustration. And the idea is to create a 15-line list that starts with that word. And then fill, you fill it in with your, your own information. So the joy of learning, uh, joy of summer vacation, joy of cool water next to a, a, a swimming pool, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a good time trying to come up with very specific imagery for those poems. Uh, then the students rearrange them for, for maximum poetic effect. And once again, the highlight of that assignment is, is sharing them with one another in a, in a circle. Awesome. Um, I, it reminds me of an activity, uh, one of my good friends, Julia Gabor, she used to work for a company called uh, Write Brain, and um, they do a writing activity, and they have the kids read the writing out loud, and then they give them two minutes to just quickly go back into the writing and try to, you know, uh, use some of those words, like you said, cool, and, um, you know, hot, and some of those uh, real descriptive words to make their writing even better, so that, really cool. We model that on a poem called Fear by Raymond Carver. Uh, which the students really get into because some of the things that, that Mr. Carver writes about being afraid of contradict themselves and some don't seem very scary at all, uh, like a cleaning lady with a mark on her cheek. So we have a good time trying to figure <laughs> out exactly what would be frightening about that uh, and then they try to model that in, in some of their own poetry. So it's a good time. I, I think if I would have had something like this in high school, poetry probably would have made a lot more sense to me because uh, it didn't. Very cool. Uh, anything else about poetry? The, the last poetry thing that we've been working on this year, or the last poetry assignment thing doesn't sound very good. <laughs> last poetry assignment is poetry from artwork. And this is the first year I've ever done this. And, and technology makes this especially uh, 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 appropriate and feasible because students go online, they find a classic piece of artwork, and then they, they look at that artwork and they write a poem that's inspired by it. Mm. So it might be the Mona Lisa, uh, it could be the, the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, it could be you know, a, a modern photograph, uh, anything that's created by someone else. And then the, the jumping off point is they create their own uh, response to that image, uh, whatever that might be. Hmm. And, and I've had just some incredible poems uh, written about very classical, well-known pieces to some very obscure and, and eccentric uh, uh, sort of pieces and I've just really been pleased with the results. The students have liked sharing them. They, they both like to see what their classmates chose as a work of art but then also what they say about them. Hmm. Uh, and the poems can be any format so if free verse they, they, they can rhyme if they want to. They can they can use one of the the earlier models and maybe do another list poem based on that. So depending on their, their skill level and their enthusiasm um, you know, they can tailor it to, to meet their own needs. Huh, that's really cool. Uh, do you ever have, um, 
students who, who are just like, oh, God, here comes the poetry. Here comes the poetry unit. You know, and, and they just absolutely hate it. Does it happen? Yeah, I think, honestly, I was probably that student when I, when I was in school myself. Uh, poetry has been a, a long, slow sell for me in the classroom. As it used to be, I would give a poem and, and students would comment on it, and then what do you do with the other 40 minutes? Uh, so we have to find a way to get more active about it and, and give them, I guess, some form of scaffolding so they, they can find more things to say about the poems and, and actually interact with, with the poetry and with each other a little bit more. Huh. But yeah, I do run into students who they, they just don't like it or they think it always has to be about trees or about love. Uh, no. <laughs> so so right. we kind of break the mold. I, I, some of the poems I share with them, you know, The, the Death of Santa Claus uh, is one that, that gets some, some pretty interesting reactions because as they read the poem, they find out it's, it's really not about Santa Claus dying. It's about a young boy who finds out that Santa Claus isn't real. So the entire death of Santa is a metaphor, and, and that, yeah. that sort of sets them off on, on remembering how they found out that Santa wasn't real. Hmm. Uh, some freshmen pretend that they still don't know he's not real, so there's there's the moment of spoiler there. Yeah. Um, but but just trying to find really unusual, mold-breaking poetry. You know, sometimes bringing in, you know, song lyrics into that situation, just just so they know that poetry doesn't have to be William, you know, Wordsworth and yeah. Walt Whitman and typical stuff. I remember the best poetry lesson I ever taught was I went into a classroom and I read lyrics from an Eminem song, um, except I left out all of the, the choice parts, but I, I read some of the lyrics and they were like, man, that's a really good poem. And then uh, this one kid was like, that sounds really familiar. <laughs> and they finally, they put two and two together and realized that I was reading Eminem and it wasn't really a, a poem per se, but it was him. And, and so I kind of ruined their lives because they realized that, okay, wait, like all the rap and everything that they listen to is, is pretty much just poetry anyway, too. So, um, but it was a good hook, so very good. One of my coolest poetry stories, when I was a student teacher, I had a, I had a student who had to present a poem in front of the class, and he read the lyrics to a Metallica song and passed it off as his, as his own. And when I told him I knew that song, he started crying because he said teachers shouldn't know Metallica. Oh. <laughs> Metallica's good stuff. All right, what else you got for us, Chris? Well, outside the world of poetry, I guess, I don't know, I'm always that, that teacher. If, I, if I'm enthusiastic about something outside the classroom, I try to find a way to bring it into the classroom. Um, I'm a big Star Wars nut, which I guess anybody who knows me recognizes that. So when we were done with the EOCs this year, both as a celebration and as a way to kind of continue the learning, we, we watched The Last Jedi. And then from that, I, I spun out a writing assignment where they had to look at all the unusual ways that that movie celebrates being a hero. Hmm. Uh, and, and some of the ways that, in a lot of ways, it, it defies traditional heroism because some of the characters who do what seem to be the most heroic things end up actually you know, causing more damage than, than, than good. Hmm. So as a result of that, uh, we wrote some essays, we had some conversations about that, and I think that ended up being kind of a, a fun assignment wow. for the students. Yeah, I think sometimes as teachers we, we get fearful of um, bringing the outside in. You know, it's like school is school, and uh, you know, like we're not allowed to talk about Star Wars at school or, or whatever, and I feel like sometimes we just need to, to tap into those things that those kids are interested in, whether it's Star Wars or, like these kids in this building love Madden uh, and football and, and um, you know, like those uh, fantasy sports, and I feel like if we're not, we're not teaching fantasy sports in in uh, finance class and uh, math classes and things like that, I think we're kind of missing the the boat on some of that kind of stuff. So 
feel like that that's good. I'm glad that you're looking outside the school to find interesting things to bring in. There, there's a scene in the movie Blackboard Jungle where, where the teacher brings in his jazz albums because he's a big jazz aficionado. And, and the students are kind of stereotypically rough students and they, they end up smashing all his records and, you know, and, he, and he leaves in frustration and that's pretty much the end of his teaching career. So I've always tried to model myself on the opposite of that. I, I really think, it, although it's a risk, bringing in material that, that you love and that's really important to you. I, I think the students respond in some way to, to the passion and they recognize it as important as long as you reciprocate. So when they bring in something that they're passionate about, you, know, you have to be just as willing to, to entertain that notion and, and try to find a way to incorporate it into the curriculum. Yeah. I feel uh, in English class we're so fortunate because it's, as long as we're looking at a text in some fashion, uh, whether it's the, the text of the latest hip-hop song or a 400-year-old essay or you know a, a modern movie, we're still analyzing text. So yeah. I have a lot of opportunities to broaden the curriculum in ways that, that maybe other teachers aren't so fortunate. Yeah. Well, and bringing something inside and especially talking about like things that we're passionate about or we're interested in kind of humanizes teachers because I think sometimes kids look at us like we're cyborgs or something. Um, I, I know sometimes like you know, I'll, I'll be in a grocery store or a Walmart or something, a kid will see me and be like, Mr. Smith? Like, you eat food, and you shop, and you're wearing jeans? Like, what is what is wrong with you, you know? So I, I feel like, um, you know, talking about those things with students is a good thing. What else you got for us? Oh, just scrolling down through Google Classroom, looking for, for some other things that I've, I've done this year. Um, we had good conversation this year on the, the One Book, One Community selection, which was What Stands in a Storm by, by Kim Cross. And that both helped students get ready for the EOC because we wrote argumentation and um, expository essays with it. But I think it also, in a lot of ways, tugged on the heartstrings and, and made them recognize the things in their lives that were important. Because over the course of that book, uh, you know, obviously an entire community is ravaged by a series of, of just horrific tornadoes. Uh, and the author doesn't really pull any punches. She interviewed families who, who lost daughters, who lost sons. And I think that gave students a chance to really reflect on, A, the, the dangers of, of extreme weather and why it is important to, to, to heed uh, weather warnings, but also just to recognize in their own lives how fortunate they are that, that, that they maybe have not suffered such catastrophic losses. And John, you were instrumental in, in what stands in a storm. I'll, I'll turn the table on you and have you talk oh. a little bit about uh, James Spann, the weatherman, yeah. and what you did for us there. So uh, I was I was talking with a couple of teachers about this book and how the kids just didn't quite get it um, because it you know it happened down south you know and it wasn't in Ohio and if it doesn't happen in Ohio then it must not be true um, you know and, and I felt like uh, that was a good opportunity to to reach out and so. Um, it, it's for me. It just started with a simple tweet. Uh, I, I tweeted out and said, um, "I'm looking for a storm chaser. Does anybody know one? Go!" Like that was it. That was the tweet. And within minutes, you know, the, the my Twitter followers came through, and they were able to find me and put me or find storm chasers and put me in touch with multiple storm chasers. And um, and then I remember you and I having a conversation about that, and we were talking about how cool that was. That you know, we've we had like three storm chasers lined up ready to do a Google Hangout with our classrooms and and kind of bring things a little closer to home. One guy was from Ohio and 
Um, and I thought that was really neat. But then I remember us talking one day, and it was kind of like, man, it'd be really cool if we could get uh, James Spann, you know, one of the main characters from the book, to come talk to our class. And again, I went out to Twitter, found a guy's Twitter handle, and just tweeted to him and said, you know, hey, at James Spann or at Spann, um, I want to talk to you about, you know, tornadoes and speaking to our class. And he jumped all over that thing. And we started emailing back and forth. And what, about a month later, I guess we had James Spann. And, and it was, it was really interesting. Um, hearing from him, uh, the guy in the trenches, uh, so to speak, the guy who was literally there um, talking about it. So I, I think that technology, you know, has that potential to open up our doors uh, to so many other opportunities that we that we never would have had before. You know, even five, six years ago, you know, trying to reach James Spann uh, and get him to talk to a classroom, a little classroom in Ohio uh, would have been almost impossible. And, and now it's just a tweet away or an email away or or something. So I think it's really interesting. But yeah, that was a blast. Um, and that I know was a that, blast. that Kim Cross, who, who wrote What Stands in a Storm, uh, she agreed that next year, if we use the book again in, in a different class or a different capacity, she'd be willing to Skype or do a Google Hangout with us as well. So awesome. I think technology really helps to extend the learning in that way. You know, it would be impossible, obviously, to, to fly an author here uh, every time, or, or meteorologist every time we wanted to have a, a, a get together with students. But for them just to hop on, on the computer and take you know, a half hour out of their day is, is much more feasible. So we really do open up the world yeah. to our kids when we use technology effectively. Absolutely. Very good. Anything else for us? Um, not at the moment. Okay. Well, I want to thank you. Uh, you know, in, in my six years that I've been here at Alliance, wow, that went fast. Uh, in my six years that I've been here at Alliance, uh, I, I, I will never forget the very first day I was here, I was talking with Mr. Uh, Jackson. And, and I said, I've got some crazy ideas. Do you know anybody uh, you know, who might be willing? I don't know the teachers all that well yet. And the very first name he mentioned was you. And he said, he's like, if there's anybody in this building who will do anything, it'll be Mr. Schillig. He's like, so, he's like, so you should talk to him. And I remember coming in and spewing some of my ideas about uh, writing books and uh, said, hey, let's, let's try this. And, and you jumped all over it. And I don't know how many books we've published with your students at this point. It's been quite a few. Um, but I appreciate your willingness to, to try something different. Um, not a lot of people are, are, are willing to jump on and, and jump into the deep end and give something a shot. Um, but you are, and I, and I will appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad that we've gotten to know, know each other here over the last, uh, the last six years. And I'm looking forward to uh, more crazy ideas and more things that we can do in the future. Well, I as well appreciate all, all your efforts on behalf of students. I know you're big on authentic audiences for kids and uh, the different publishing experiences they've had. We've certainly broadened their horizons and you know, had people from other countries and reading their books and commenting on their books. And I think it makes a world of difference when, when students know that someone other than the teacher is going to be looking at the work. So for all that you've done for our students. I, I thank you as well. Well, thank you. All right. Well, that's it. That's the end of episode nine. Uh, so again, uh, listen to this wherever you're at. Well, I guess I shouldn't give you those directions now because you're probably already listening to it. Um, but make sure you fill out the reflection document to get those CEU credits. And uh, that's about it. So for Chris Schillig and myself, I'm John Smith saying peace. We're out of here. See ya. So long, my friends. Farewell. Goodbye. I'd love to stay and play and sing for a while But it's time to hit the road Say goodbye so long, fair